0: It's the real thing. Uh, give me one second. All right, we're okay. Jeff, where are you based um, out of?
1: Temperature uh, I live in Connecticut, and now I'm based out of Connecticut. Okay. So We were in Union Square. We were just right down the well, we sell our office, but we never go in. You ever coming
2: back?
0: No, no, yeah, no reason.
1: Right, I need you guys' opinion on something that's
0: been bothering me all week. Do it. So, this is a financial influencer problem. So there's these guys uh, earn your leisure. Michael knows who they are. They're like insanely popular and influential amongst like the new generation of investors who've come along. So they're like uh, millions of followers on YouTube, on Instagram, and I've become friendly with them. They had this massive event at Madison Square Garden. You know about this. They had this massive event at Madison Square Garden last weekend. It was on Sunday night, like the Hulu Theater, which is like thousands mm-hmm. of seats, they sold it out. They had like Floyd Mayweather and Jadicus and like all these celebrities. So I was supposed to be on stage for thirty minutes with this guy Peter Tuckman, you know the guy that looks like Einstein on the New York Stock Exchange floor. Yeah, you know that yeah, dude. You do know him, yeah. He's like the most photographed. Okay, right, right. So I'm like sort of friendly with Peter, <laughs> or at least I think I am. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's no, it's not good, man. So. Rashad from Earn Your Leisure asked me to be part of the thing. And I was so excited to do it because I love those guys. And then he's like, you're going to be on stage with Peter Tuchman, who I also, I'm friendly with him. So I don't really know what we're going to talk about because he's a trader. I'm a financial advisor, but whatever. We'll make it work. We'll give the crowd like 30 minutes of good content. And I'm going to bring my wife, my daughter. I'm all excited for this. So then Tuchman Te- uh, texts me, goes, yo, there's a, a call, and I don't know if you could be on it or not, but we're going to talk about what we're going to do at the event. Like the pre-conference, you know, the normal. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't make it. So I'm like, I trust you. Just figure out what they're looking for from us, and then you and I will will do it. I get a call that night from Rashad. He's like, and I'm like in the middle of five different things. He goes, hey, uh, Peter doesn't think that you guys should be on stage together. So he's going to do 15 minutes and then you're going to do 15 minutes. And I was just like, okay, I guess. And then like three days went by and it didn't sit well with me. I texted Peter. I'm like, why would you do that? Like behind my back? Like, why would you? So I text Rashad and Peter. I'm like, you know what? Peter really should take the 30 minutes and, you know, I hope everything goes well. I can't commit to showing up on a Sunday night in Manhattan to do 15 minutes on stage. I just can't do it. So that was – I never heard back from anyone. It looks like the event was a huge success, which I'm happy about. But, like, I'm, like, pissed off at, at this guy, Tuckman. Like, I'm not, like, mad at him, like, I'm going to kill you. But, like, <laughs> d- doesn't that – so here's my question. Is that really f***ed up what he did? Nicole's nodding.
1: Is there any okay. – like, Take a stand. I like that. Is there any motivation? Like, what's the motivation behind this thing?
0: The motivation for
1: him to take the – because it the wasn't like he up. wanted the whole 30 minutes, right? No. So he didn't he didn't jettison you because no. you wanted the whole
0: 30. He wasn't being like, he wasn't like being like sleazy, like, let me try to take the 30. He wasn't doing that. Yeah. But like, he kind of like, without me having a say in it, cut my time down to, right. all right, you're going to go out on stage for 15 minutes. But he also cut
2: his time down, right? He, he
0: cut himself Yeah, 15, but he cut yeah. me out of the picture. Maybe, maybe. maybe he was intimidated? No, he's not. He's not intimidated by me. Uh, we, why? we had him on on your podcast a long time. I like the guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's him. That's weird. Well, why not did he, anymore? Yeah. Why didn't he respond no, to that, your text? I don't know. Because now, because now I'm thinking, did Rashad, I'm the, did Rashad respond? No. So now I'm thinking I'm the asshole. Oh, you're definitely the asshole. Because now I'm like, what did you do? I'm the asshole that got invited to go on stage at MSG, and I was too much of a big shot to go on for 15 minutes. Now that's how I'm starting to feel. So I don't know.
2: Well, they probably thought that-
0: I love, By the way, Nicole has my back I'm, unequivocally.
2: Well, I don't because I'm nodding my head. Maybe they thought that you were big timing them.
0: I would ne- not No, I, I, I think- 15, No, with that statement, I do not I, I will not big time them. They sold out no, MSG. I, I
2: understand. <laughs> my point is by you saying I'm, all, I'm not going to Manhattan for, for 15 minutes, maybe they felt that you were ungrateful.
0: That could be. No, but
2: 15 minutes, is that's like less than an opening act gets. You know what I mean? Like That's, that's very, that's very yeah, short period
1: right.
0: of time to to do all the trouble for. I went to their event in Atlanta, and I was on stage for an hour with two other people. It was amazing. And I was on stage with a trader. And so it was the same kind of setup. Like, we do different things, but let's talk. And it worked. So it could have worked in New York, obviously. I
2: think the most reasonable explanation
0: is they thought that you were mad. So then I'm like, so it maybe just a miscommunication. Shit! Did all these people unfollow me? Like, are they mad at me? Unfollow and, you? Where? Mastodon? Just yeah, on Mastodon. <laughs> did, I get on, did I get unfollowed on Hinge? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't. So now the longer that like I don't hear from anybody. How long ago was is this? This is just like this week. This is this past. So it's still Sunday. salvageable. I feel like a dick now. All right, I don't know. I don't know if I. I don't know if I did anything wrong. Well. We ready to go? I don't know. I don't. I don't think you did anything wrong. I, for but, one, you uh, don't think so. I, I, think
2: I am. I am a little surprised that you're telling the story on the air.
0: Can I move this I over? Th- I, I. I don't know if. I don't know if I'm right or wrong or not. Why wouldn't I? I don't know. But no, we're gonna hear from the audience. You know what? Don't uh, think,
2: like, delete this whole thing.
0: Don't delete this. It's Okay. I'm a. I'm a, I'm a grown up. I like that Nicole unequivocally has my back though. That's the key takeaway for me. So, um, if we learn nothing else today, we. <laughs> We learned that. Jeff, your charts are gonna be up on this screen when we when we go through them. Lovely. Thank you. Right. Jeff,
2: you're a CMT now?
0: I am a CMT, yes. I want your opinion
2: I'm on I'm also
1: a CFA. Just for the Are oh, you? Yeah? Well yeah. which one do you use? Actually, more? I'm a CFA charter holder to be specific.
2: Jeff, I, can I show you two charts that I just want to buy or sell. And obviously it's not a recommendation, but just just curious.
1: <laughs> All right. And a price target. Just <laughs> right. just do you like how this looks? I'd like to know better what the industry is, but it's, it definitely is improving, yeah. That's uh, a
0: good-looking good chart. chart. That's an inverse head and shoulders. Stop.
1: Uh, Stop. This? Le- needs to break up, but yes. That's arc. Sh- one more. Yes. All, all right, so it's all the, the same chart. Was
2: my, dude, fucking clicking in my ear. What is this? It's static. It's static from what? Me? Is it my sweatshirt, my hoodie? What
0: is this made out
2: of? It's nice material, what right? Is what is that, felt? So these charts,
1: Jeff and Aud- Ow! Is anybody else getting the clicking in their ear? No, you've got, yeah, yeah. it's, it's because right. you've got, yeah. You've, it's Peloton. It's like you're in a, um, you know, you've got your flannel uh, pajamas on in a wool yeah, blanket. I was showing you Peloton, <laughs> Zillow, and Shopify. Yeah. So at this time of this time of year, right? You that get the is, reversion it, that trade. That is seasonal. It's uh, yeah.
0: the junk trade. Is but, junk they, but they've been basic. The the they've, they've been basing. Tax
1: loss selling comes back and you get this. You get this. Why do
0: the junk stocks rally after Thanksgiving? IOZillow, by the way.
1: IOZillow, just. FD, as they say. But why is that? They do though, right? Yeah, because the most of the mutual funds are out, right? They don't want to show on the The tax law boats. selling is done, yeah, so all the pressure from selling is is over, and they sort of levitate as asset allocators come back, and wherever they go, they have to, you know, throw that percentage to the. <clears throat> I was
0: doing this trade in 2005. We were buying Focus Media, and other assorted Chinese advertising stocks. This has always worked. Like right after Thanksgiving, you could buy
1: the worst shit. It, it is. I was just at a lunch and we were talking about the same way. It's, it is exactly like sitting at the blackjack table and saying, you know what? I have an 18. What are you going to do with an 18? You're going to stay, right? You're yeah. not going to win every time, but you're going to win 75% of the time. Yeah, That's exactly it. The you problem is ju- you, have to, you have to play it every hand the same way every time. And do it every year to play. The, in order to get the benefit of the probability, Correct. yeah, you, have can't, to, you can't you can't believe this year's different or this year's not different or what. It's like just go in and do it. I should have bought that Zillow with you when you bought it. Where'd you buy it? And
2: uh remember, I told you Palatine. You told me it's going to zero.
0: It is going to zero. But that
2: was like eighty percent ago.
0: No, I hate you. Yeah, did it double?
2: Almost. It's
0: still going to zero. uh well, I'm not. I'm not trying to get mad at right. these names. All right, how are we doing? Ready to go? Okay. So that static was my my hoodie, huh? Yeah. Don't wear that again. Huh. All right. What episode is this, John? 72. Welcome to the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholf's Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Josh, do we have some exciting news to share? Oh my God, I'm so excited.
2: Here's what we're doing. Friday, December 16th at 5.30 p.m., myself and Josh are collaborizing with the On The Tape podcast. It's Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Danny Moose. What are we doing? We are doing a live podcast from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. The tickets are $100. All of the proceeds are going to No Kid Hungry. The tickets are going to go fast.
0: Press pause, hit the link. It's in the show notes. Where is the link? It's in the description right now. They could see it on the app. It's right there, right, Nicole? All right, so we're raising money for No Kid Hungry. 100 of you will get to come live at the NASDAQ Market Site, December 16th. What time are we doing this? 5.30. p.m. There will be drinks. There will be food. There will be merriment. It's all happening. Make sure you do that, and we'll see you there.
2: Today's show is brought to you by Composer. For those unfamiliar with this new, cool, and exciting tool, picture this, Portfolio Visualizer meets Fidelity. Here's what I'm trying to say. If you have ever backtested a strategy, either manually or with another site, you could actually put those backtests to work. You could backtest, you could implement the ideas, good, bad, or otherwise. Uh, You could use other people's ideas. We had Ben Wallard on Animal Spirits if you want to hear like a full discussion of who Composer is and where they came from and all that sort of stuff. For more information, go to composer.trade slash brochure. Episode
0: 72. When did we start this? June of uh, 2021. 2021. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the compound and friends, Jeff DeGraff is here. I am so excited about this show, Jeff. We wrote you an intro. Can I read it to you, please? Okay. Jeff is the chairman and head of technical research at Renaissance Macro Research, an institutional buy side macro research firm. side. right, guys. Sell side. S- uh, where does that go? Where sell side? Institutional no, sell side. So-
2: who? 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 Don't get you Fired. fired. fired.
0: Uh, Jeff is a frequent contributor to CNBC and is a member of the Institutional Investors Hall of Fame. Jeff DeGraff, welcome to the show. Thank Thanks for you so having much. me. Thank you for doing My this. My pleasure. Uh, you've been so excited. Jeff, of-
2: Jeff is a favorite of a fan favorite. Like, doesn't, isn't JC obsessed with Jeff? I've
0: just told him that. Like, whenever, whenever I ask JC who's, who's the, the who's the man, yeah. Jeff oh, DeGraff yeah. is the man. I've been hearing that for years. Hmm. Why do you think people, uh, feel so Fervently about you being bro. The he's guy. got the
2: dopest charts. Well,
0: <laughs> That's
1: what J- JC. Bro, have you seen his charts? Oh man, I I. Well, you know, there's a lot of reasons I, sh- I should ask my mother. Um, but uh, I, you know, I think I think one of the the things that we've done well uh, in our process and um, and career is just be very consistent, right? Okay. And we think about things, um you know, almost monotonically. I mean, you have to be creative in this business for sure, but there are certain boundaries with, within which you have to you have to work. And um, you know, we've always been big believers in credit, well before credit was even a thing. Um, we've been big believers in sentiment and trend. And I think one of the things that's built our credibility over time is that we test everything. So we don't just throw it out there. We test it. Um, it was a big reason for starting my own firm was building a database, writing the software, having this ability to really go through and make sure that the spaghetti stuck on the wall when, you know, there were ideas out there. Um, And And then owning that that. as as IP. And then absolutely owning that, right? Because if you do it for somebody else, you know, it's gone. When did you start the company? Uh, Pi Day 2011. Okay. That was – the math guys loved that. That was just a coincidence. So you're uh, 12 years in
0: and prior Lehman?
1: Prior to that, ISI ISI for four years, Lehman for about 10, and then Merrill Lynch before that.
0: Okay, so you've always been on the sell side. I've always been on the sell side. Okay, yeah. um, and for Michael, what does monotonically mean? <laughs> <laughs> incrementally Stare higher stout.
1: or incrementally lower, correct. Stare Come on, stout. man.
0: Okay, I thought you were doing Wu-Tang. I thought you were saying I bomb <laughs> atomically. Socrates philosophy. What? Don't take don't, don't tape me doing that. Okay, uh, so listen, this is like an amazing, not a coincidence, but like it's a very momentous time for us to have you here because this week— I think technically, or maybe you'll tell me I'm wrong about this, I think technically a lot of things might have potentially changed from the prior primary trends that we've all been living through this year. Um, notably, at least for somebody that's not a technician, the S&P retaking its uh, 200-day moving average to the upside. Yep. We have not been above the 200-day moving average since like 10 minutes in April, right? basically, but almost the whole year. We've been below right. Uh, 22 days out of 100-something or 200-something days. Uh, is that meaningful? Should we get excited about it? Or should we just say this is just one more data point and it's not its own story? And this is uh, how many days the S&P 500 has spent below its
1: 200-day. Uh, so longest
2: longest streak of under the 200-day since, uh,
1: since the GFC. Right. Yeah. Which we could say since quantitative easing and balance sheet uh, manipulation, right? Look, uh, trend following is without question for anyone who wants to have a simplistic technique that makes money and controls risk. Trend following is it. D- you know this this idea of buying over sold conditions, selling over bought conditions. It's an illusion of control. Makes you feel good. Makes you feel mm-hmm. like you're you know in the action. But if you want to make money consistently keep your blood pressure down, control your risks. Trend following is important. Versus like pattern matching or yeah,
0: fractals
1: uh, yeah. or- uh, I mean, almost name anything. But what right? about intuition? <laughs> well, yeah. With the exception of intuition. <laughs> no, trend following with a dose of intuition. <laughs> right. This time I'm not going to listen. All right. So, so what you're talking about is the 200-day moving average, which is a way to smooth the noise of the day-to-day of the, the markets, right? I'll give you an interesting stat. Um, When we looked at individual names back to 1957 and used a very simple technique, the 50-day moving average versus the 200-day moving average. So if the 50 days above the 200-day moving average, that's an uptrend. If it's below, it's a downtrend. Very simple. If you look at that and you measure the alpha, right? So we're trying to measure what the risk-adjusted returns for individual equities are um, in these two states. You find that in an uptrend, uh, stocks on a annualized basis, produce about 104 basis points of alpha. Not bad. I mean, you're not going to get on the cover if of Forbes. What? If you're buying it. A- if the trend is up, right? So today, the 50 days above the 200-day, tomorrow, I own the name, and you just keep doing that. Golden
0: cross, death cross. Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. So you're not going to get on the cover of Forbes. But, you know, look, it's it's hard to generate alpha generally, but the uptrends generate more alpha. When the 50 days below the 200-day, it's actually negative 75 basis points. So if you start looking at that spread of, you know, 180 basis points of alpha, that's real. Like, that's real over a period of time. So as a very simplistic measure, you can just say, I'm only going to own stocks in uptrends. You know, I can change the weight based on my fundamental values or whatever I, you know, however else I think about the world. But just by making that simple distinction – it really puts the odds in your favor. So the idea that the 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 market's above the two hundred day, it's one trend following technique. Sure. It's a little noisy, so we don't use it. It's part of a process, but it's not the the main part of the process. Well, you want to know
0: the slope, which is still negative. Slope is still negative. You want to know like, is this for a day or a week or a month? Like how like the duration of time it's been in an uptrend
1: is meaningful, right? It, it is. Yep. And then you also want to know thrust, right? So thrust is. Uh, what we call escape velocity. Right? How how powerful is this move? And there's different ways to measure that. Uh, a few of the ways that we look at it: what percentage of issues are above their own twenty-day moving average? So very short term, you know, just a month basically worth of trading. What percentage of issues are making twenty-day highs in any given day? Um, the the ten-day breadth. So if we measure breadth over a ten-day period, what does that look like? And I'll tell you, and this is a true story. Last night, you know, I I, uh, I had to leave early. I came back, and you know, obviously the market was strong and it it, it closed uh, on a on a firm note. And I started going through our internal work, and I called my team together. I'm like, we got to double check this data because this doesn't look right to me. We had 17% of the names making 20-day highs. We had uh, 72% of names above their 20-day moving average. These are very low numbers for a market that was that strong and making a 20-day high. And what we found was that really when we went, this is on the Russell 3000, when we went through it, it was a bunch of mega cap names. It was names like you just pointed to, which are these beaten down names that had rallied back, didn't really make 20-day highs, had big consequential impacts on the market nvidia some of the fang names et etc yeah. but didn't change anything the rallies in a downtrend oh, wait, exactly so, so, it was a rally in so, a downtrend is, it, is this fools gold so it was it was not we did not get the escape velocity that we look for in those indications now that might still happen but i would not We're point not there. To, i would not point to yesterday and say thank god this is finally isn't it. the reason isn't one of the
0: reasons why that those secondary measures of thrust are so important is that if you're just going by above below you're going to churn up any of the alpha that might exist. Like, like th- you would get so many false buy and sell signals. And when you're doing
1: that with real capital and not just in a spreadsheet, like you could chew up an account. You absolutely can. So position sizing is important. The other part too is it's just psychological. Like I can give you a trading system that is right uh, only about 23% of the time Right? But it's, it sounds um, like you. But, <laughs> right? but what I do, when I hit, right, I hit you it. No,
2: Jeff, I'm so glad you said that. Our, our late friend, John Borman used to say, if you want to buy a stock to, to go up, buy one that's already going up. But right. behaviorally, it's counterintuitive. It, it goes is. against all of our instincts. We want to buy bargains. We'd rather, people would rather buy a stock at a 52 week low than a 52 week high, even though we know empirically that is a bad strategy. Absolutely. But it's very difficult to buy a stock because you said, oh, I can't pay a hundred, it was 83 months ago. But that's how- so many
0: things in there. There's like the, just the idea that just generally it's better to buy things cheaper then there's like the uh, the anchoring bias, what price I last saw it at, right. or when the last time I owned it, what what it was. Tra- there's so much shit in there yeah. that is just not processed. And, but so maybe this is,
1: this is cable. I didn't know this is cable.
0: This oh, has- you can say oh, what okay. All right. yeah, yeah. But buying <laughs> like within, we're not going to. I know
2: there's a, there's a big difference between buying <laughs> stocks that are cheap fundamentally yeah. versus you know a stock at fifty two week low. It might still be expensive, but but when you're buying stocks that are in downtrends, like if you're expecting
1: that to turn around in three months. You're lucky, You're, not good if that happens. Right. Yeah. Usually they make new lows. Right. Right. Well, and and it's a really important point because what we find is that we are you know, fundamentally I'm a CFH charter holder. Fundamentally, I have a I have a value. Personally, I have a just a, a philosophical value bias. Probably, you know, it's my Dutch heritage. Whatever. We'll see. Um, but what we find is that cheap stocks going down are not a good place to be. And again, very simply, we don't have to get sophisticated with these different algos. We can just use the 50-day versus the 200-day. The, 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 uh, if you buy cheap stocks in an uptrend, it's a far better proposition than thinking that somehow you found the magic and it's going to turn. Now, granted, there are special situations. There are you know hard book values, and they come along. There's no doubt about it. But consistently, to have that process, you absolutely should be buying cheap stocks only in uptrends. And that what about right. what about buying uh expensive stocks and downtrends?
0: Yeah, that, we like to do that. Uh the, the trade of this year, obviously, and anything related to energy, these were cheap stocks and downtrends last year. Yeah. Sometime this year they crossed over to becoming cheap stocks in uptrends, but a lot of money had already been made before they became a cheap stock going up. Or do I have that wrong? Uh
1: they so in our work um, I'm just thinking back. They changed right around the election. The the, oh, okay. the relative performance of energy changed around the election. And I remember very distinctly having a conversation with the clients who were saying, well, you know, the Biden administration is absolutely going to crush energy and this isn't going to work. And I'm like, <laughs> you got to That should never I'm like, you got to You got to take a step back but on, on both this, sides. Right? It never yes, works. Exactly. Yeah. It, it has nothing to do with yeah. Biden. It has to do with politics. The, the politics yeah. just doesn't. You know, also, also, it. It's backwards. If you get somebody in office that
0: wants to de-incentivize drilling, what do you think is going to happen to prices? Right, to
1: those who can drill, right? Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, exactly. So, So anyway. So, not only does that not work, even if it did work, it would work in the opposite direction.
1: So, an interesting stat – we go through every industry group and we look at what the best valuation technique is for that industry group. Right now, I can tell you that for the market as a whole, free cash flow to enterprise value is a pretty good measure, right? But it doesn't apply to banks. It doesn't apply to utilities. There's a lot of industries that it doesn't apply to. So we go through and look at, okay, if I had, you know, 50 years of data and said, in hindsight, what's the best one to measure, we do that for every industry group. Without question, without fail, for energy... It's free cash flow to enterprise value, so it's it's pretty traditional. We had to rescale our charts back two years ago because they were, so cheap. they were so they so cheap. Yeah. Wow. So we had to rescale the charts, and then we see that, and the we see the trend transition relatively. And I'm like, you, Screaming like by. what? Yeah. What else yeah. can you can you but ask so for? What
0: I find so interesting is that you're even talking about things like enterprise value to free cash flow, like 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 that that that, that that's even something that goes into your, your mix? Because so many technicians we talk to are pure technicians and they would argue, yeah, I'm sure that stuff's important, but the market is already aware of it.
1: Well, I mean, look, I I, I am, I am more in line with that than not, but I'm also an opportunist and, you know, I don't care what makes me money. As long as it's legal, I'm going to use that to my advantage. Right. And so, what we find historically, again, just from from the data, is that if I can find good uh, relative values that then have building momentum, it's, I mean, it's, it's not, a no brainer. It doesn't have to be black or white when the fundamentals it, of technicals line up. The other thing is something. that
0: you, have, but you're but you're talking to hedge funds who will not place a trade on technicals alone. They yeah. need to understand why the stock is working. and so you're able to deliver that to them that's important and we
1: are but but i would also say what we try to do as well is when they give us um their portfolios i I don't want to know i don't want to know if they're short i don't want i want to be very very unbiased and say hey this is a name that we would own, this is a name that we would short and you know and i'll 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 get into they're not arguments but they'll they'll try to convince me as to why that should i'm like I'm just looking at the data. Like, there's nothing for me. I can't change. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. But I can't but change the chart. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. I can't change the chart. So, you know, until your story is recognized, it doesn't
2: matter. Right? So, it just doesn't matter. This yeah. year has been, I would guess, the biggest spread between the Dow and the S&P since a one or 2. Like, just not looking at the data uh, off the top of my head. But... For the last two months, it was the strongest- uh, John,
0: we have this. The
2: strongest two-month return for the Dow. And I'm not using rolling 30-day. I'm using actual monthly calendars.
0: Rolling two-month returns for the Dow Jones Industrial Average.
2: Uh, was up 20%. So October and November were up 20% for the Dow, which is the strongest two-month return since 1938. And John, if you zoom in to the next chart, we've got it uh, a little bit zoomed in. So yeah, pretty good.
1: Yeah. Look at that.
2: Definitely. The Dow is—it's
1: a little quirky of an index. So it's We're down three and a half percent. Right? Yeah, 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 of
2: course. Well, it's—it's yeah. it's, uh, yeah, price, it goes to the it's other way. Are yeah.
1: you a Dow, tru-
0: uh, Dow truther? I don't even know what that is. Like S and P is the market. Stop talking
1: about the Dow. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we, me no, and you, have this fight. It is fight. the market.
2: The S P, of course, is the market. I mean, the However, Dow I mean, is the
1: people's index. Essentially, I mean, <laughs> right. wait, wait, in nineteen thirty-two.
2: Okay, but I'm a traditional guy.
0: No, listen, uh, I I get I get all the arguments against looking at the Dow. Because a four hundred dollars stock is going to matter more than a hundred dollars. I get all that, but uh, the S and P and the Dow over like twenty year periods end up in the same place.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, the th- path exactly might right be on. different, yeah. but right, the returns. But, are but as that a representation, the question is: is it is it truly representative? And, and, although when okay. people
2: say, "What did the market do today?" they do ask for the Dow.
1: That's what. Th- yeah. th- thank you. But you you agree with that? Well, of course. Yeah,
0: of course. Imagine telling somebody, "Oh, what did the S and P do? It went up fifteen handles." Yeah. What? Yeah. What is,
1: what did Dow do? Yeah, I don't know the people that shunned him on Sunday. I think they still look at the S and P. Listen, Peter Talkman <laughs> is
2: a huge S and P
1: guy. Talkman Tuch, Tuch, knows what he's talking about, but most people
0: haven't spent their career trading, you know, and and don't really know. Um, all right, but do you think there's so so is there a signal in in the separation between the Dow and the S and P or the Dow and the Nasdaq? Is I, there something worth like remarking upon there? Well, the Dow and
1: the Nasdaq. Um, uh, that's growth versus uh, value. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I honestly don't know. I have never looked at it. No, that's what,
2: it. We know that twenty five percent of the S and P is Fang, and so it's a it's today, a value
1: growth thing. But we'll see if it lasts, right? So that's you know that's the transition through time, and that's one of the things that you know I think is is um, underappreciated in this business is just the constituency of. What the S&P looked like in, say, 1982, right, where it was roughly 25% of the market was energy, yeah. right? And today it's, you know, uh, tech. And so people look at PEs for the market back in 1982 and say, well, it was so cheap. It's, like, a we, it's, it's a different world. It's a relative. completely different world, yeah. right? It's a, it's, a, it's a completely different capitalization structure. You know, you got two guys and a dog starting a software company with no book value in a garage And, you know, you're trying to compare that to Exxon. By the way,
0: Apple still has like 30% (laughs) gross margins or some ridiculous
1: number. Yeah, exactly. Exxon got got
2: kicked out of the Dow at the bottom or close to the bottom.
1: Chevron's the only energy company in the Dow. I think that's right. I think that happened to Westinghouse too, though, but it still is a bottom.
0: So the big picture, though, from your perspective, is that we have not done enough to the upside. There's not enough of a thrust to really feel like the primary trend has changed. Yeah, so but it's worth like
1: keeping an eye on where where we've been for the last three months. We've got a what we call our market cycle clock that looks at a bunch of different indications, which is essentially distilling it down to growth versus inflation. And you know what's what's um, amazing, and people don't believe it, but um, inflation and growth have been in the bottom third of this metric that we use uh, for the lat, which goes back over the last seventy years. They've been in the bottom third for about the last two months, right? So they're like, how in the heck can inflation be done? Yeah, well, I just, I just turned my use, head. Right, what? right. You, we, we we use PPI as one of the indications. And the reason that we do that is because the simplicity actually is a feature, not a bug. The simplicity of PPI is I call you and say, as the ISM, I call you and say, hey, your input costs, are they higher lower about the same that they were last month? And you tell me, I'm like, OK, it's a diffusion index. And if it's above 50, they're a little bit more. If it's below 50, they're a little bit less. Well, you know, that seems like it's sort of you know ridiculously simple. But you don't have year-over-year problems that that are presented from COVID. You don't have the change in the index that you get from CPI, and then we decide you know magically that we're going to exclude food and energy and all, the, all these other things are just like hindsight bias related. Seasonal, yeah. This is yeah, the this just, is I mean, this laggy. Is, yeah. This is just. Pure data. Up or down. Yep, pure data, and here it is. So okay. PPI is rolling over. It's it's in the bottom third. Not only is it rolling over, it's in the bottom third of all the data back 70 years, right? This is an extraordinarily bullish zone for equities. So what, what do you make of the dollar having a really rough period, which is obviously a tailwind? That's and,
0: and interest rates coming down as well.
1: So that's that the, the dollar is nothing more than a reflection of the stringent financial conditions that we had over the summer. It's
0: interest rate differentials relative to Europe, Japan. That's, I mean, that's what the dollar There's is. There's
1: four things that represent the dollar. There's interest rate differentials, growth differentials, um, purchasing power parity, and the what's called the international Fisher effect. You go back and look at them, all you need to know is the interest rate differentials. The other three account for maybe 2% of them each. Right. right? So you're absolutely right. So, so, this, we ho-
0: so we started hiking first, and we hiked – Quick and we hiked faster,
1: and our expectations were continuing And
0: expectations, and that's the story of the dollar strength of 2022. Right.
1: Okay. So, so the S and P over the last six months has been most sensitive to three things. Um, the and I'll give them to your order. Uh, Triple B spreads. Right. Mm-hmm. So as they go up, S and P goes down. The dollar, as that goes up, the S&P goes down. And then nominal interest rates, which is basically the five year you can use as a good proxy. As that goes up, the S&P goes down. All those things have reversed in the last, what, month? This is is the S&P on top and the dollar on the bottom, and they're mirror
2: images. It's not always like this, but this year it is.
1: So what's interesting is is people will always ask, well, what's the dollar's impact on the S&P? And that's a reasonable question. But if you go back and look, it absolutely is backwards, right? The dollar is a reflection of financial conditions. And so when we go back and look at attribution, Today it's about ten percent, so it's actually extraordinarily high. At ten percent today, that's extraordinarily high. It's usually right around one to two percent, which is noise, right? I mean, it's complete noise. When people get all worked up about the dollar trade, I'm like, seriously? Like we're we're dealing about two percent. But this, but this year, like it's incredible the degree to which.
0: S&P futures will move lower. Well, because this is a, it's a different year, it's a different environment.
1: But because it's a reflection of those financial conditions, right? So it's, you know, you sort of have to ask, is this, is it the dollar or is it the dollar representing what the financial What probability? I mean, the would dollar
2: you, is what the S&P sees in the mirror. So I think that's stocks that are driving the dollar or, or just general sentiment. What
0: probability would you place on the dollar having topped for the cycle in September?
1: I'd say close to 70%. Yeah, and one of the interesting things. So we we monitor the uh, the CFTC positioning within the futures market, right? And um, and again, it's you know this is one of those things. You're where
2: a perfect. Sorry to cut you. off. you're a perfect man to answer this question, who are these commercial hedgers? Like <laughs> I mean, seriously,
0: it's Fortune five hundred companies that have real costs in the yeah. real economy. That, that's who they are. That's for the, the S and or for what?
2: Uh, it depends on what, what you're we're talking looking about. looking well, gold right? miners. Is that what you're so, remember Brian Baskett was here and we we're talking about like these commercial hedgers. Oh,
0: dude, Colgate-Palmolive, you know how much you know how much chemicals they and, and 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 raw materials they have to buy to make everything that they make. They would hire a firm to do hedging for them. No, in I know Chicago. you're a chemist, take it easy. No, right? <laughs> but but right? Like that's what we're talking about. Yeah.
1: Oil I mean, companies, Kellogg's for cornflakes, Air, right? airlines, yeah. for, airlines jet for jet fuel. fuel. Yeah, 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 yeah. For the S and P, it's pension funds. It's it can be mutual funds. It can be trading desks. Right, they're they're taking on they're expanding their book and their balance sheet. and They want to offset that. So you know, there's there's some of that. But what's but is there signal? Is there signal in these numbers? Well, sometimes there are. Sometimes there's not. Right. So um, with the dollar. What's interesting is most people would say, well, whatever the commercial hedgers are doing, I want to do, right? That's the quote-unquote smart money. Let's make sure that we're following the commercial hedgers. That doesn't always prove to be true. And in fact, with the dollar, what's interesting is when commercial hedgers become excessively net long the dollar, right? So in other words, they're hedging against a dollar rising. It's almost a perfect point to be selling because they've finally gotten their act together where they're saying, you know what? Whether it's the CFO, the treasurer, or whatever, they're saying, we don't want this representing – us poorly in the earnings the next quarter or the next two quarters right. let's put on the heads so now they're like
2: the dumb money kind of? They, so
1: they essentially end up being for the dollar right. just for the dollar they end up being the dumb money so you actually want to fade the commercials in that instance where as something like what we're seeing in say ndx futures they're actually long and they've been getting long and they're actually for the first time in this bear market they got long about a week maybe two weeks ago now but who would be the commercial hedgers of the nasdaq 100 uh, it could be pension funds that know that they're going to get allocations that they don't have enough uh, cash positions so they're using futures to offset that and and shore themselves up um, it could be mutual funds that have seen outflows and they want to offset that it could be you know there's there's anybody who's trafficking in the underlying and un, uh, uncomfortable with their in this case, short position or underweight position in equities or in, uh, futures would be using that. Well, the dollar is
2: dropping like a stone again today.
1: How, how important is monitoring, uh, what the
0: commercial hedgers are doing? Like, in other words, is that a strong enough signal if it's at an extreme that it would overturn something that you're seeing in price or do they very
1: rarely contradict each other? So this gets into something that we talk about a lot, which is we look at the markets in two distinct buckets. Um, The first one, I'll try to keep this simple. The first one is what we call potential energy. You're a chemist, so you know potential energy, right? Sitting there, it's just waiting to be unlocked, right? So that's sentiment. That's valuation. It's something that it's inert right now, but it has the potential to be very, very powerful. Mm. And then we look at what we call kinetic energy or what physicists call kinetic energy. And that would be something like momentum trend, that hot spark that can then use that fuel to push the market higher, right? So one without the other. Yeah, it's just not that interesting. Both together, very, very powerful. So when we look at something like sentiment, when we look at valuation, we look at it exactly in the same light where we say, look, the potential energy. Uh, and one of the reasons why we've been more optimistic over the last three months, frankly, tactically bullish, not long-term bullish, but tactically bullish, is because the sentiment positioning was offsides. The seasonality, we said this is just the time of year that this stuff happens. Yeah. Um, the market cycle clock was saying Mid-terms. that that people are are offsides in terms of their thinking about what's likely to happen to policy. And so what you can end up happening or what what ends up happening is you just fill that void, right? People are sides. And it's not that anything necessarily changes, but just it's not as bad as what people were yeah. expecting. And you it's just like go back an to trend. Unwind. Exactly. So you just go back to trend, which yeah, is what yeah. you're talking about, going back to the two hundred day moving average. And without that thrust, without that the the percentage of issues over the twenty day, the twenty day highs, all those things we talked about, it's really hard for us to then say, okay, well, this is a new bull market. This is just sort of filling that void that existed that nobody could it's see the more neutral
0: day. than it is breakaway Correct. or breakout. Right. Right.
1: Okay, right. So let's
2: let's we spent a lot of time talking about equities. Let's talk about credit a little bit. Uh, there was a huge outflow from LQD, which is the iShares Investment Grade ETF. And when I saw this headline, I thought to myself, huh. Ten percent of the fund leaving in one day it has to be like a model that's port. A,
0: that's a big RIA who got a better deal from Stage Street and BlackRock. This has to be a model. This has to
2: be a model portfolio shift. There's, there's literally. It's, it's a basis point trade. <laughs> there's no other explanation. And then later in the week, sure enough, the Journal did a piece showing all of the fund flows coming into high yield ETFs. This literally was like three days later. I was like, huh, nailed it. Um, but as we look at Jeff, as you look at-
0: uh, Oh, so you're saying that's somebody saying, get me out of LQD, get me into JNK. Maybe it was just
2: tassels harvesting. Who, who knows what it could be? Right, but right. but this chart shows flows coming in. So the LQD was was probably just a model portfolio change. As we think about uh, investment grade spreads, where do you think we are in this cycle? Is it weird that there's been not so much stress on credit or- like what do we make of all that the, the thing the, is
0: all the junk bonds are energy companies no, they, and they've they, never been making no, no, more no, no. they've never made more money I'm I'm
2: looking at next chart please John, uh, uh John this is this is investment grade spreads
1: Yeah I mean it's where's in, the, where's the spike I think it's in the top 80th percentile I think if you look at all that data I think we're in that top 80th percentile so it's not the 90th it's not the 100th right so there's 20 more spot. to go. Yeah. yeah, so it's elevated, but we're also not in recession, right? So I think that's sort of where you are. Um, look, I don't think we're going back to 2008, 2009. We just don't have that, you know, that same underlying dynamic. And you know, one thing that's interesting about this business is people love to fight the last war, right? Yeah. So the last thing that's on their mind is like, oh my god, this is you know the housing crisis or whatever. I'm like, eh, probably not because policymakers put in these gates and everything else that sort of helps prevent that what's interesting though is those gates generally help to build some other problem or dislocation in the market that you have to be you know you have to be ready for i, I never know what it is you just have to be yeah right but it. if you're worried about banks and mortgages you're thinking about the wrong thing correct right because
0: right. because yes. we did that already yeah capital ratios everything else is, it's going to you know, be right it's going to it's not going to be the thing that everyone is looking at because they remember 10 years
1: ago right okay the the old saying that you know the shot that gets you is the one you don't see coming. Well, it's that's why it gets you for a reason, right? So it's always but even if you it's look, trickier. Even if
0: you look outside of
1: junk bonds, like you just look at like credit default swap, there's well, like no sign of anything. Very
0: little. Very yeah. little. There's some there's some credit intra, card charge offs or some intra
1: bank stress, you know, between European banks and there's some, you know, there's some funkiness going on with that, but even that's calmed down here recently. So we um, talked
0: about credit, we talked about credit swiss just now uh, before the show. Michael and I did like a whole segment on it on YouTube the other night. I can't get excited about it. I feel like I don't know if the equity is worth anything or not. Like I, I feel like it doesn't matter. It's not as systemic as it sounds like it is. Like I it's not it's not the Swiss government, and they're probably not gonna let it completely fail anyway. And they'll just keep diluting shareholders and then they'll do a reverse split and it'll be a $30 stock like they did with City. And life will go on. Yeah. Like if that's the big risk that we're is Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse, I can't get excited about that. Right. At a
1: at a perpetual ROE of six. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. No. I just right. feel like they'll just like yeah. keep paying fines and they'll reverse split the stock and who cares? So I I don't see any sign of like that that credit blow up. And that's what they want you to think. No, but like <laughs> nobody nobody can really come up with a story where there's some sort of like imminent. Yeah, it's, the, it's the hole in the balance
1: sheet right that's the that was the big thing is it like how big is the hole in the balance sheet that do we not know right right and then you have the counterparty so the counterparty stuff becomes an issue because of you know I don't trust you and now you, because of him you don't trust me and he doesn't you know, trust let, Peter Tuckman. right're we going to F, uh, poor Peter. <laughs> FTX and Jeff, you, you
2: know, had this interesting observation about the relative attractiveness of of uh, fixed income versus versus stocks. Earlier in the year at one point, like stocks, the S&P and the ag were both down 15% year-to-date. Yeah. And uh, you're saying that bonds are actually more, relatively more attractive even
1: after the decline than stocks are. Right. So one of the ways that we look at the world, we talked about the free cash flow to enterprise value, right? And we do it for individual companies um, within, the, within the index. So when we go back and compare where our valuation indicator is in 1982, it's exactly the same calculation and on an apples to apples basis as it is today, right so we can actually compare through time um, we what we found was that the best valuation um, normalizer right some people use GDP or you can use all these but the best valuation normalizer is not the treasuries because you know that's the that's the cost that the government the you know risk free rate essentially other than interest rate risk can borrow at what we found is that the best proxy is triple B government bond yields, right? Not the spreads, but the yields. And what we find today is that because we've had the bear market in bonds, we've had a bear market in equities. um, That's a pretty unusual occurrence over the last 40 years. And so usually what's happening is you get a bear market in equities that raises your free cash flow yield. Um, The Fed cuts rates. So you get a bond rally that lowers yields and that differential starts to widen, and there's a value proposition for equities, right? So bonds rally, equities look cheap, and sooner or later that gets some traction. Today, we've had just the opposite, or actually uh, uniqueness, in that the bond market has sold off, the yields of those bonds are high. More attractive. Right, more attractive, as equities have sold off, and they actually, the yields of equities haven't kept up with the bonds. So when we look at it, we're actually looking at it saying, today, dollar for dollar, I've got more attractive offers in the bond market than I do in the equity market. You know how many you know how
0: many equities are like disqualified if the one year is gonna be five percent yield? Like you know how much <laughs> of the stock market you just throw in the garbage? Yeah. I well, know. that's where we are. I, I mean that's where we are. Yeah.
1: So And I think that's gonna be a big problem as we go forward, right? We're yeah. gonna have to like the, the The one thing i'm not I'm not convinced that you know rates are going to ten percent or something crazy, but I am convinced that we've broken the 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 bull market in bonds that was in place for my entire career. You would say that that years. ended last year. I would say that ended last year. Okay. no, I would not say that that downtrend immediately turns to uptrend, but generally downtrends go into a basing period, yeah, and then you can start the uptrend. would it think make sense if that ended
0: last year, like poetically,
1: like. We had negative yield.
0: We had how 10 many trillions? Ten trillion dollars worth of negative yielding debt after the pandemic, and that was the bottom.
1: Yeah, sure. That
0: right. was the end of a forty-year. It had to end
1: at negative. It was such a powerful, just like energy with vol- negative crude, right? I mean, one hundred percent. Can you imagine the you know the idea? I know the story doesn't have to be good, but that's a really
0: good story for why a forty-year bond bull market would end. That it ended with negative
1: bond yields. Well, and and I would add to that, it, it almost ended with hubris too, right? We can do whatever we want yeah, because we, we've controlled two. we've controlled this for so long, yeah. And you know we've got we've got the bond market in our back pocket, and we don't have anything to worry. We about. We invented nine trillion dollars
0: between fiscal stimulus with money we didn't have and newly printed dollars into yeah. the system. Yeah. So that right, so that would also line up really well with that having been the end. Yeah. We learned that actually. When nobody has to go to work and everyone has cash, it's not a great idea. Yeah. So um, this is you, right? Yields and oil? Yes, that's him. All right. Let's go into this. This is really interesting to me. John, can you throw up this US 10-year yield? There it is. I want to read what you wrote and then have you react to it. Yields and oil are two of the most consistent counter-cyclical indicators historically, i.e. higher yields and higher oil sow the seeds to lower yields and lower oil. Here we measure the three-year rolling sharp ratio, norm- which normalizes returns for volatility. On yields, that's the inverse of bond prices. You'll note that we're in the top 2.5% historically, which is usually the point at which the rubber meets the proverbial road and the tipping point of financial conditions, thus lower yields. So tell me, tell me why that's relevant to uh, asset allocators or investors. Like, What's, what's the message behind that?
1: Well, there's there's a couple. One is that the returns have been so bad in the bond market, and they're matching, you know, things that we saw back in the mid '80s, and then you know, taking that back a little further, close to the right. 1980s. And usually, those returns are just unsustainable. You know, both on the good side and the bad side, right? So, um, you, you're never as smart as you think you are, and you're probably not as dumb as you think you are, though that one might yeah. be debatable, right? Yeah, it's so, the worst year for Treasury since 1788. Yeah. So I can't conti- I can't persist. Well, and 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 part of what's you know the magic of the bond market, right, is that when you put yields out there at seven percent, well, guess what happens? Buyers. They're just well, there's buyers, but those that are borrowing are done. Mm. Right, I can't. This capital project doesn't make any sense right. at seven yeah. percent, right? So you don't borrow, right? And so all of a sudden, demand goes away. That sows the capital. seeds for lower yeah, rates yeah, yeah. Well, to start ha- to attract that back. That just right? have with mortgages. Absolutely, I mean mortgages are are. You know, they're very simple, and housing is very simple, and and it's actually a very good proxy and a nice sort of 101 economic tutorial about how that works. It just froze the market. Because guess what happens? Can't afford to move. And prices are more... Inelastic. Case Shiller is off a. Case home prices now off
0: a cliff and activity. Home sales is are at like half century lows. Like ho, just like yeah, home contract, sales are collapsing. Like obviously, like yeah, like that. Okay.
1: It did. It it, it it took eight months of rising. Although because, interestingly, but because the yeah. the prices won't change, right? So if you adjusted... the home the price, prices, right? Yeah. If you adjusted prices so that my payment looks the same, that's yeah. glacial. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. that process where, exactly
0: where homeowners right. say, I guess I'll sell twenty percent lower yeah. than last yeah, year. Yeah, okay. Forget forget f-ing
2: no, no, yeah, yeah. So uh, mortgage rates came in a little bit. They're at yeah. like six and a half. I do wonder how quickly the activity picks back up if we get down to six or well, seven. Well,
1: so our economist Neil Dutta has a great chart on this and it actually picked up pretty meaningfully in terms of applications. In the Just last with week. that fifty basis point yeah. I think it was the last three weeks, okay. they've come down. And I could see refi's picking was, like, I could see
0: refi's being slower, but like home sales picking back up.
1: Because, like, yeah. nobody's no, refining refinancing. at 6.5%. If, if you didn't do it in the last three that's years, right. you're not doing
0: it. So the refi years. market might be dead for, like, years. Yeah. But I could see home sales reacting relatively quickly because people still have to live somewhere.
1: I hope you like your house is really what that well, comes down to.
0: Right? that goes without saying. You're there. Uh, let me continue with this. Well, what did you want to say about oil there? Because that's the same kind of thing, right? If if returns in the oil market are low, ultimately that will lead to less
1: drilling. There are, which has to lead to higher prices. There are two very – for the market, for for equities, right? That's what we focus on. There are two very consistent um, uh, counter-cyclical inputs. Uh, rates, mostly short rates, not even long rates, mostly short rates and oil. And those two things, you can build a very accurate GDP model using those two inputs. And we can make it more sophisticated and, a lot, and we'll get a little bit more incremental information out of it. But honestly, by the time you, you distill it back down to – what are these two inputs really telling us? Those two things will get What's give more you important, the level 70%. or the direction? Uh, that's a good question. It's what we, fo- we have what we call our yield impact model. And believe it or not, it is, it, and we tested this. What's that direction? Is, no, it's 50 hmm. 50. Interesting. It's split. Um, what, what I thought was most interesting is that the market for equities, the market couldn't care less about what the level of rates are anything further back than three years ago. So if you're going to tell me, oh, rates were whatever in 2016, market doesn't care. Market market has moved on. They care about the level today versus what the higher low was over the last three years. And anything longer than that, it's irrelevant.
2: I did this very simple analysis looking at, I think it was, I can't remember if it was inflation or interest rates. But if it, if inflation was lower than it was a year ago, that was massively positive for stocks. And if it was high, like it was a bit way bigger spread. than. Regardless
0: of where, what level, just the fact that it was lower or higher. The rolling
2: 12 month return, this is probably wrong, but it's directionally right, was like 11% when inflation was lower than a year before and like 3% when it was
1: higher, something like that. The market cares about better, worse, not good or bad. And that, that so you is feel law that, so Do you feel people? the
0: same way when you look at price charts and people talking about, oh, this was resistance back in 2004? Totally. Bullshit, right? Yeah. Thank Forget you. No, that's that's Forget that's it. your argument. Thank you. Right. Now you can you can use volume, right? Yeah, how is that memory? Twenty years no, ago, there's, 20, no no, 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 there's no buyers, no, there's same okay. people. But, but what if Correct. a stock hits the same level
1: five times in a twenty year period? There's that's got, d- that's different. That can't be coincidence either. Well, I mean, it depends on. I agree with that, but it depends on. Are we talking about? Five years as of you know 2000 to 2010, yeah, yeah, yeah. or we're talking about five years starting in 2010 all the way up to today. That That's more interesting and more a lot relevant. of
0: because a lot of people are looking at uh, I remember this distinctly. A lot of people here in like 17 or 18 were looking at the Nasdaq breaking above Dude, your that's 2000 so, highs. Josh, it's so funny to say that. That's what I got.
2: Come on, this this is not there's no pi- I understand that price stopped here, there's no memory here. These are these people are washed yeah, out, but they're it, dead. Like, price well, but price also,
1: did stop though, it
2: did okay, fine,
1: but keep in mind. Those companies, I think, different I, stocks. Yeah, as I say, I think it's only like. So well, yeah, that's a Sysco, whole other Microsoft thing. Microsoft and right.
2: Intel uh, whatever, there's yeah, there's a few. People but- are
1: charting uh, Arc.
0: Her portfolio has one stock in common. Yeah, she could be a utility fund tomorrow, and it, yeah, two years ago it. it was it was twenty percent Tesla. Now it's six percent right, Tesla. Settled yeah. What are that. we looking at? Right. right. Um, let's do this drawdown from uh, SPX and Treasury over the last sixty years. And then the combined 60-40, that's sixty-forty 60-40
1: portfolio. Yeah, why, why would anybody put gray on blue? That's so dumb.
0: So you're saying here, bonds usually insulate portfolio returns. Today, they've exacerbated the drawdown. Yes, thank you for that. We know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we're an RIA, we know um, worse for risk parity, which actually levers bond positions. Yeah, not only did bonds lower not help, volatility. they
2: caused the downside. They yeah.
0: made it worse. Right, right. So what what should we po- take away from this? Th-
1: and this was the point of that valuation argument I was making towards bonds before, right? Where where this this created a drawdown that was not insulated by the bond market. And the drawdown actually has made bonds relatively more attractive. Okay. The, to stocks, right? Still so, still. When, right. when would that change? Well, yields come down. Uh, yeah, yields come down, um, or the equity markets the come down the ten year a lot is already,
0: right? so, already falling off a
1: cliff. What's yeah. that, 3.7? seven? So, so that's that's three five. Three five. Wow.
0: 358 wow, or
1: something wow, wow. I, I Wow. You know. So that's getting less attractive by the day. Yeah. So that's helping, right? Okay. Um, but it's not. You know, if you if you're to keep things static, you got to be careful because you're you're using two different inputs that can that can move here. Um, but it's somewhere around 3500 just below 3500 that it starts looking interesting for equities around these levels for for we're we're talking specifically for corporates right so that's we're more interested in investment grade corporates than treasury
0: now you said that corporate credit is more attractive from a valuation perspective than corporate equities than stocks that's the next chart for 2023 all right, all right. let's get into that john you have that this is you What's interesting about this bear market and unique to the last 40 years of bear markets is the lack of value proposition offered by equities. We just did this. Right. No, but but, but this, I want to see chart. it.
1: I want to see This is the chart itself. So when you're above that green line, right, that means you're in the 90th percentile of that differential, which means that the free cash flow for equities is in the 90th percentile versus the spread versus triple. Meaning stocks are attractive. Yes, stocks are attractive. We're in the bottom 10th percentile. And what you'll note- is not today specifically, but where we are most recently, is we're actually below where we were at the beginning of 2021. How could, that, how could be? that be? It's Because the bonds have gotten shellacked.
0: So purely on that basis, we're less attractive now than we From were? From a perspective. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. I don't think most people are
1: considering that. Nope. And they should be because but every dollar could be allocated anywhere. Absolutely. That's re- If you're making a rational decision and you're looking at this historically, you're saying – My dollar return, if I'm a steward of capital, right? This dollar's return should be going to this asset, not that asset. So
2: said differently, it almost never makes sense to downshift a portfolio after a bear market. In other words, to go from 70-30 down to 60-40 because you got out over your skis, you're scared or whatever. Now it does.
1: This is the first time in 40 years that we've seen that make sense, yeah. very. Wow, that's very interesting. Um, Let's do this
0: Vanguard thing. You want to
2: set this up? Well, yeah. I also want to talk about the yield curve. We'll we'll put a pin in the yield curve, but the two year is falling too. But it's four two three, and the ten years. What did we Not say? Falling three five. This fast. Unbelievable, but isn't that? We'll get so,
0: back to that. We'll get back to that. But that's the that's that's the market, the bond market saying whatever additional rate cut uh, rate hikes the Fed thinks it's going to do are going to be given back Sir, very quickly.
2: We're putting a pin in that. All right, fine. We will, we will come back to that. Fine. Uh, before we get back, I like, before, when you, but, I
0: like when you take control of the show. Bef- once in Before a while, we the take way. the pin
2: out. We're gonna talk about uh just Vanguard real quick. Had this uh paper. I was about to call it press release, not sure why. Uh a blog post. I don't know what you call this. Vanguard Investor Post.
0: Uh TikTok.
2: Anxiety and cash needs on the rise. And they have one chart in here that is very interesting. They're looking at, I guess, uh uh Vanguard buy, households.
1: Buy
2: <laughs> so what we're looking at here is a household's needs for cash is especially evident in all-time highs for hardship and withdrawals. So they break it down like people taking money out of their account. This what, is 401k
0: participants who are taking money out. So this is a noisy chart, but what you need to know is this. As I say, I always try
1: to make charts, you know, it is, simple. Yeah, but, it is incredibly uh, noisy. If I swallow my tongue over here, somebody help me. Okay? It is
2: incredibly noisy, but what 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 we we the thing to focus on is the orange line, which is hardship withdrawals, which is at as high a level as they started taking- What is game. a hardship
0: withdrawal? You have to actually give a reason for why you're taking the money out and should not pay a tax on it. Is, the, is that the- You have to meet a certain standard for an actual well, cause hardship. You have, to, you have to pay a penalty, and income tax on this. So I don't know- you can't do a hardship withdrawal and wire it to Coinbase.
1: Like you have to have a reason. Don't you get sixty days, and then you have to? Do they change you have that to law. Put it back. But you have to. You're like borrowing money from yourself, basically. Right, but if you put it back in sixty days, I thought you used to be able to do that tax free. So you, could, an, but you the could. The IRA rules on and the four hundred one k
0: rules not might not be the same.
1: Right. It's a four hundred one. This is four hundred one k. This right. is four hundred one k. Okay. Well, that's, uh, th- that was that where that rule applied. I so this is this five. Is exactly. They they surveyed two
0: thousand Vanguard investors. On their outlook for the stock market. Uh, that's different. So, the, but oh. whatever.
2: Again, no, it's noisy. But the point is this: people are tapping their four hundred and one k. This is not a good thing. This is supposed to be your retirement money.
0: We know that. Uh, we know that credit card usage is up fifteen percent in the third quarter versus last year, and we got data today about the uh, the cash that's in bank accounts, and uh, all, all of those things are trending lower. Mm. Which arguably is great
1: because people will go back to work. Is that the way to think about that? Well, I'd think about it as the Fed sees it and says, hey, we've got a potential problem on our hands, right? And So, so that's we, We've done enough and here we can start to – But let, you want people to let let feel like burden. they need
0: to be working and oh, not yeah. feel like I'm going to sit home and, and you need the labor force participation to tick up.
1: From an equity market perspective, I look at that and say, OK, well, if people are taking hardship withdrawals, it means they've already liquidated – Whatever, yes. Whatever cash they or assets they've had that they can access, right to whatever it is, make credit card payments or whatever. So, again, those weak hands or the marginal buyer has probably, for the most part, taken themselves out of position to be a seller going forward, which is good news.
0: Uh, John, put that up one more time. What was what was the
1: hardship in
0: '08 or 09? I don't know if it I don't goes, think it went back that far. Yeah. Oh, we don't have – it doesn't go back but that far. there's,
2: there's of a all lot, the noise on
1: that chart, the one thing I noticed – Oh, I'm it's right in front of me. It far. does go back that But everything,
2: far. Every, but everything is noisy because, it's for example, low. for example, Ben Kassman tweeted today, the continued strength of real consumer spending is pretty remarkable, accelerating over the past few months as inflation has eased. I don't have this chart up there, but, but Jeff, take a look at this. Inflation-adjusted consumer spending looks to be accelerating again. again. Yeah. So you could easily paint a very bleak picture of the consumer – or that they're getting to the end of their rope. All of the XX savings—they're
0: just like buying airline tickets, it seems. And then like you, that's could, only-
2: you could show and <laughs> listen to a lot of Have you. Have you flown
0: recently? I've, I try not to. Yes. Holy shit! I know. It's it's. I've never seen anything like it. Any flight, any destination. Where, where did I... I was just on a plane. Oh, went out to Vegas. It was insane. There's people laying in the aisles.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is... No, in kind of G- No, no, no. no in just you're in the airport. are going to Vegas. Uh, oh, I see. Uh, just you're in the saying, airport. Okay. Just in the airport. Got it.
0: But no, it looks like one of those scenes where like, there's like somebody on a bus, like in Latin America, and there's like a chicken and a... Gu- like, it's like <laughs> every single flight is full. Livestock. Beyond... Yeah. Right. Beyond people fighting over the overhead compartments, like fist fights.
2: All right. Uh, let's take the pin out and... Talk about the yield curve. So Bullard said the other day, uh, expected disinflation is the party driving yield curve inversion. So it is not necessarily sending a recessionary signal. I would love to hear your take on the yield curve. Uh, is it? Is it? Uh, it's one of the most reliable indicators. The last nine times it inverted, a recession followed. Uh, what's going on here?
1: Well, I mean, it has changed. Right when I got in the business back in the late 1980s. Um, The statistical significance of the ten year to the two year was meaningful. You know, t-stat of three, all this stuff is. Well,
0: he uses Campbell Harvey's like three month ten year, but same directionally, same
1: thing. Interestingly, right? Yeah. Since since the nineties, this has been trend. The efficacy has been trending down, right? And it's actually today it's meaningless. Like today, the yield curve has no impact statistically on the returns of the equity market, which I think, still find hard to believe.
2: Do you think because the economy is less sensitive to it or because
1: everybody knows it? No, because well, the absolute level of rates are so low. Well, I think there's part of that. But the also, also think about what's happened in the last 20 years, right? We've introduced this thing called forward guidance and expectations from the Fed. So the two-year now reflects what those expectations are. If you go back and we look at what's had the most stable statistical significance over that period of time, it's actually the 10-year to the Fed funds. So not what the Fed's saying, but what the Fed's doing. And if you look at that spread, that one still has efficacy, right? So what we're seeing is that the the market is pricing out what the Fed's saying they think they're going to be doing. And what that really gets back to But is, that's
2: inverted too, no?
1: Well, they both are inverted. The, the, the last one inverted like within the last month. So the last- the last Two weeks hike, ago. Right? Yeah, two weeks ago. So what that really gets back to, in, in our view, is that the Fed – and I, I, I am not a Fed hater. I mean I know people are out there and, and they've got a hard job. There's no doubt about it. What I do think one of the mistakes that they make is they're overconfident in their ability to predict the future. I mean anybody who thinks they're good at predicting the future is going to be overconfident.
0: There. Very confident in my assertion. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's Ben Carlson who is
1: a Fed apologist, they're, they're, I should point out. They, they are very – uh, they're overconfident in their ability to predict the future and they're underappreciative of the power that they have to impact the economy right so they sit here and say we think things are going to be somewhere in 6 months and the stuff that we've done you know we have to let it catch up what they have no idea what their, what they've you know what they've done back here and how that's going to impact So they've got a
2: massive wake behind them that they don't see dude they, yeah. in September of last of year they yeah. saw
1: no rate
0: hikes this year or one yeah it's, 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 like, completely ridiculous to look, go by their guidance. It's not that they're dumb. It's that just things are
1: really tough to predict. It's it's hard to predict yeah. the future, no doubt about it, no matter, yeah. you know, how many econometrics you have, et cetera. So here's that T-stat, that the, the bottom pane, right? So this is the tens versus twos. So the T-stat is essentially a, a, a statistical tool that you see if there's a significant relationship between two variables, right? In this case, it's the S&P and the two-year to, to ten-year. Um, as that red line basically dips below two in the bottom pane, it says that you're losing the efficacy of this predicting the S and P. Right now, we're, we're not only are we, you know, below zero, which is negative, so the the signs flipped, right? So what used to be good is now bad, right? Um, and so I still think that there's something here, but we have transitioned because you We the forward guided start Bernanke, right? Yeah, post crisis. Uh, really, they started talking about implementing it in 2004.
0: So, this is dot plots, and yeah, and, when he
1: became the softer, gentler. But fed he sheriff. started
0: the press conferences, started doing the financial crisis mm-hmm. under Correct. under him. Yes,
1: and Janet continued it. And now it's just like a thing. They yeah. never did this shit before. No, I mean, when I got in the business, there used to be a whole cottage industry of people that would Greenspan. go through and, and look at this. Is before that, this is Volcker, where, where they go through and say, we can only tell what the Fed did six weeks ago by going through the balance sheet and and analyzing oh, that's what, interesting. what the – I mean so not only did they not give you forward guidance, they didn't even tell you what they, they did. They give you backward guidance. They didn't give you backward, the, guidance. Right, give you backward <laughs> guidance. So, so, you, so like it was you – know, it's a completely different world. So
0: the market expectations are moving prices such that there is less and less value to looking at a yield curve because the yield curve is now anticipating rather than reacting to conditions.
1: That's – that is our premise. Yes. Okay. That's yes. interesting. Because it has changed. One of the overly
2: simplistic explanations of why an inverted yield curve might cause a recession is people talking about the banks borrowing long, uh, borrowing short, lending long. And why
1: would they and do that at all? Is loss? that complete nonsense? Yeah, that's really changed in the last several years. Yeah. What? Which part? The borrowing. Short and long. Oh, that's, got, that's my their, their question. Access to capital is does the yield today. curve
0: do something to the economy, or does it just reflect something that the economy is doing to it?
1: The yield curve generally reflects because people are very sensitive to short rates, right? Credit cards, yeah. um, uh, auto loans, mortgages. so yeah, mortgages to a lesser extent because you're usually locked in. But but today, what I'm going to do is going to you know have some impact on that. So. Um, the the inversion just tends to you know float around what that more stable historically stable level is. Um, the the yield curve is actually a really good indication of what you want to do in fixed income, right? When it's inverted, you actually want to extend duration. It it it, it tries to fool you into doing the wrong thing. Wait, why why do you want to extend? Because if you think about it, if I'm at four percent, let's just use run numbers. I'm at four percent today in a two year yield, right? And I'm at three and a half percent on a ten year yield. I'm thinking. What fool would buy a 10 year yield when I can get a 50 basis point? Pickup we had this for conversation two, two hours yes, ago. Please the answer pro- well, the problem is is that as you get out in two years, the likelihood is that 4% yield, you're not gonna be rolling at two or you're gonna be rolling at one and a half. Because oh, in the 10 year, you won't the, have to roll. In the 10 year, you're sitting Ooh. there saying,
0: hey, guess what? I'm- yeah, nobody, that's very counterintuitive. So in, so in buying the 10, you're taking a lower yield today but without the risk of having to roll it at
1: even lower price sooner. Correct. You're, you're actually in a position of strength as a bond market investor. That's interesting. By buying the long end of the curve when it's inverted. Hmm. You want to buy the short end when it's, when it's steepening. And, the, ri- the, yeah. risk,
0: the risk of rolling is a real risk. Correct. It's Absolutely. not even a that risk. Is, it's a certainty that you're going to have this to. This is
1: like a freak show of a yield curve. I don't even know what that is. What is that? This is
2: the yield curve. just very unusual.
1: Uh, oh, 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 oh! oh I see what you're saying. So that's this the 30-year out there, and it's, yeah, the belly of the curve is where you want to be right now. Let's do this thing on w- buybacks. 7s or 10s or 15s? Uh, 5 to 10. 5 to 10.
0: Uh, John, Urien Timmer's tweet, if you please. Share buybacks played a huge role in the market this year. Without them, the bear might have been meaner. I've been saying this, but I never had the data to actually back it up. Buybacks are holding up at 6.8% of revenue, which are making new all-time highs. So far, so good, but we may have reached the peak for this cycle. There was a lot of firepower from all the refinancings and all the just high high profit margins for years on end. And thank God, because ha- like large companies like Apple were able to keep their share price relatively stable in a pretty unstable market environment. Do you think that that's been as big a factor as uh, Timur seems to believe
1: or – overstated, understated? Well, I mean, most of the work that we've done shows that the, the rates of the previous year drive the buybacks for the next year, right? Because you change your capital structure. The rates of what? Interest the, rates. Right. Okay. So I go through and I, I either roll my debt or I issue new debt and I change the capital structure of my company. And I'm you know, I'm rewarded doing that if I can get corporate debt at three or four percent. My cost of equity is eight or ten percent. I mean, that makes all the sense in the world, right? So that'll be interesting to see. Well, so, right. So if that's the case, then of course buybacks will be lower next year, right? So it's it's been a one way street. So we don't really have the other side of that to to mm. test the hypothesis against. But that would be that's where we're coming down on it. Is so? What will companies do instead? Is there an incentive to pay a higher dividend yield or? I mean, you well, just have less money to work with. There's, there's a couple things, right? Well, if you're if you're making the money, then yeah, then you, you have to you have to either reinvest in the business if you think it's a good return on invested capital, or you return to shareholders. Okay, and so that's you know through buybacks or dividends. But if the dividend yield, or sorry, if the buybacks um, are being you know, financed with borrowed money, then, then it's that different. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, then you you increase your dividend yield.
0: That's interesting. I don't know that the buyback ETFs or the shareholder yield ETFs have. Uh, I don't know that there's a difference in the way they calculate those for companies that are doing buybacks financed by cheap debt versus companies that are doing I don't know buybacks any. out of cash flow. That might be a trading opportunity for next year, one versus the other.
1: You know, what I will say in my thirty plus years in the street is, man, are things trendy? It's amazing how trendy things are. So as as in vogue as buybacks were, you know, I could ease in and you know, how out of favor dividends were, I could easily see where that starts to shift again, just as a, you know, whether it's in a, 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 to create more income, to make them more interesting. I mean, we don't look at it that way because we just look at the free cash flow, which is what you're left with anyway. Um, but you, you could see some of these tricks being, you know, pulled out of the hat just to make things more Let's attractive. do
0: this one really quickly. Uh, oil below the, pre, the, the price before the invasion of Ukraine. And then so I have a question for you. Energy stocks versus oil. This is a pretty stark dichotomy. Oil has basically round tripped to where it was in January of 2022. Yeah. As though nothing ever happened. Right. Uh quite a ride, but the stocks are staying higher. Yeah.
1: So what is what is that? Because volumes are still good or I f- I think personally it's because valuations are so ridiculously cheap. Still. Still.
0: So this is scary to me though. This is you know what this reminds me of? Like when Wiley Coyote runs off the cliff <laughs> and doesn't realize there's nothing below his feet and yeah. then looks down. Yeah. When you see oil prices down huge, but energy equities up, I almost feel like at some point the sell side's gonna come out and start saying, Hey guys, we might have to cut expectations for next year
1: but look at the forward curve the forward curve is you know the forward curve of what of crude right so you go out and look at crude for priced in 2024 2025 substantially lower than today right so the equities are driving themselves off of the expectations for what the future is going to look like not not today's price not today's price so just because these are long term long duration assets right this is
0: uh crude spot crude oil is up uh now two percent on the year um, the XLE, which is energy stock ETF, is up 70%. Yeah, let's be I clear. Like-
1: this part in the cycle, energy should not be doing well. But it's been holding up remarkably well. I would say you know, history usually will follow the script, call it 60% of you know what you'd expect to happen happens. But it's that 20% that doesn't happen. I know it's 40 differential. But the 20% that doesn't happen is really where you can make a lot of money. And one of the things this year that's been – uh, really, the outlier is how well energy is held up given the weakness of the cycle, because you would expect that energy would be at the tip of the spear of that, and it hasn't. That what hasn't percentage
0: been the case. of of the S and P is energy now? About, five? I
1: was going to say it's about six, but it could be back five. up to six, so it's, it's five in, or so. six. But it's yeah. interesting
2: that energy has been so strong despite crude and despite broader market
1: weakness. Absolutely. So energy is usually if you're looking for the foil, right? If you if you say I don't, I never want to hold cash, what? sector can I own that's going to be a foil to the bear market that's going to give me some type of relief in a bear market energy consistently is the best more one. than
0: like gold miners or
1: definitely more than gold even more than healthcare, care uh, yeah. because oftentimes the now this is you know hindsight bias but oftentimes the Weakness is a function of some type of supply shock, right? So you get a supply shock in energy. It crushes consumers. It crushes jobs. They have to either raise rates to fight the dollar so the the crude looks cheaper, whatever the case may be, benefits energy hugely.
0: Does it work in inverse? If you get bullish on the S&P, does that mean that you should be less bullish on energy or not necessarily?
1: Historically, yes. There's there's really only been in the last 60 years – Three maybe four periods where energy has like consistently given you good performance and this would be the fourth
0: I remember like oh four oh five oh six was a big bull market for energy Yeah, I can't remember anything since well,
1: you know, there was there was also the time that during that time period people were This is one of the you know classic uh, You know heuristics in the business where people were like well the, the market can't go up if energy is going up There's no way the market can go up if energy is going up and really what that ended up being was China right which you had was this globalization where the rising tide was lifting all boats and it was lifting it faster than the input costs of energy were dragging things down what is what is this
2: i was surprised to i was i was i had nick take a look at the 12-month change between crude oil and energy stocks and this is not that unusual to see energy stocks up bigly while crude is flat year over year so this, what, surpri- this
0: surprised me I what this, is this for the people that aren't looking at the chart I just what is this saying all right i i just said
2: we're looking at the 12-month change in the price of xle Versus a twelve-month change in crude oil, and it's a scatter plot. And I was expecting this to, this, and
0: it's at the zero. I was
2: expecting the current dot to be like way out on an island by itself, and it's not at all.
0: So this happens all the time, where you'll get a change in crude oil, and and energy stocks don't necessarily go in the same direction. Yeah. So it's it's. Well,
1: look at that range too, right? If you just if you draw just a vertical line, you're somewhere between up seventy and down. It's huge. <laughs> yeah, down yeah. 25, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. So, uh, so, that so I guess
2: the price of crude or the, 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 yeah, the price of crude tells you less about energy stocks than I would have thought is the bottom line.
1: Do you have the chart that I sent over? So this is the free cash flow yield so versus is. enterprise value for, the, um, for energy. So it never got cheaper? Never. That's why I had to rescale the chart. You can see it. Wow. And we're still up there.
0: So these stocks are still undervalued and still technically look good.
1: Yeah. You would stay with this trade. Yeah. Okay. We've actually gone to equal weight right here. Okay. Um just because of the cycle, but we think there's an opportunity as it comes in.
0: So what's your overarching message to people about 2023? Um not like price targets and stuff, but just like how different do you think next year might be from this year or should we expect more of the same? Like what when you when people just like ask you casually, what do yeah. you tell them?
1: Well, I, I tell them the How game, casually? The
0: game. Super <laughs> casually, right? like in the sauna. Like,
1: bad ca- <laughs> in the Turkish bath. Uh, what right. do, you tell, what was, do you tell I was going to say cocktails, but I got cut off. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, I tell them the game has changed. And I, I tell them that the. You know, the one thing that there are very few people that are left in this business have seen is um, an environment where we were not in this sort of persistent downtrend for yields, right? The bond bull market. So I think the the great bond bull market is over. That doesn't make me a huge bear on bonds, as you can tell. I think sure. there's some value there. Um, but within that, I think it's it's the the tailwind that we had is now going to be a quartering wind. You know, you don't you don't wind think wind. if the if the economic growth outlook falls apart midway through
0: next year we could be headed back to 1% interest rates? You really I, don't think so? I
1: think we can get back to 2 I don't think we're going to be able to get back to 1%. Okay. I, I think the low in yields has been hit. And you hit – Like the, generational, I low. generational okay. low. I think generational Like a and lower. I, yeah. And I think you – By the way, it was very, stupid down there, and well, it didn't
0: lead to anything good for so You society. made a very good
1: point, which was negative real rates. Yeah. You know? I mean we've seen – and I can't believe people still argue this, but we saw the impact of negative real rates, which guess what that does? It makes Creates every – circus. It, yeah. It makes every asset – have some value right and you can't differentiate between what is real and what is not you have to really keep your wits about you and we're seeing that now with crypto and the and the downfall of crypto we saw it with um you know with what we 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 uh by the way concept capital yes or no
0: sbf innocent (laughs) no can you imagine
1: it's the craziest shit you've ever seen we're not going to spend twenty minutes on this. I'm just curious. No, I, I, you've never seen anything like this, right? No, but you can read. You can pick up a book, and you you can read plenty of stories. We did a podcast actually back in 2021 with a, a professor from the University of Minnesota who was specialized in the South Sea Bubble because I, I just said this. Oh, yeah. You know, let's talk about it's, the South Sea. So bubble. There's So much right? in there, and there's so much in there. And yeah, and yeah. you know the one th- the one parallel that that um, that I draw is the South Sea Company. You know, created the South Sea Bubble uh, that was in 1720. Yeah. Do you know what year the South Sea Company finally went defunct? Oh, I
2: just I heard about something 1780.
1: 1853. Okay. 133 oh, wow. years it stuck around. They kept that. Did run. anybody? Did anybody wow. know what it was? Nobody cared. Who it was, it was the just, compliance officer there? <laughs> <laughs> right. So the point is, like, y- you have to move on, right? You, you just you have to move on. So whatever you thought we, we talked about with the Nasdaq, right? The the names that were populating the Nasdaq in 2000 are completely different. Than the names that populated it today. So if
2: I hear you right, you're bullish on Solana.
1: <laughs> so no, but so the instruments change, the
0: players change, the companies change. But like the the, the bullshit things, doesn't. The two things that never change are fear and greed. They're like the constants. Yeah. And that's like I, for me, that's like the big
1: takeaway. You'll always see different versions, but there's two things that don't change. And there's and there's regret. And I think one of the things that mm. that investors that's need good. to understand as we go forward. Um, watch relative strength because relative strength will be a very good indication. You can just do it on a sector level. but It'll be a very good indication of where the next leadership R, is. What, RSI? No, no, just uh, what's the just performance, performance. performance versus the S&P, right? What's my performance versus the S&P? If you want to get cute, you can adjust it for volatility. You don't need to Whatever. do that. But, yeah, so, you know, w- what we're seeing right now, which nobody believed, and, you know, I was scratching my head back six months ago, Industrials. Industrials are helping to lead this tape. Industrials were were bottoming in June and, and coming out of this right. ferociously in July and August as the dollar was strong, as rates were going up. It didn't make any sense, but it was telling you that there's something good happening with these industrials that that probably has some staying power. Caterpillar looks kind of mean. Caterpillar, deer, Cummins engines. Dude, anything, tinkin, d- anything defense. Oh, deer. Wow. Huh. Anything defense,
0: like any anyone making missiles or those are all industrial stocks. So, uh, do you have fun on the show today? It was great. Thank you. Was it everything that you thought it would be? Absolutely. And more. Dude, we were, we were so excited to have you. Um, I think, I think the, like our audience, uh, we have institutional people, you know, obviously follow the show, but just in general, like our audience, I don't think has heard from. From you before in a lot of other places yeah. so this is like really special yeah, appearance for us so thank thank you very much if, I could, if I could
1: put in one just plug absolutely you no guys, we're gonna do more than
0: one plug well you guys might want
1: to try the eltoids before we start the show not <laughs> we do really. the route. <laughs> um where could people
0: where could people learn more about your research product uh what's what's the url how do they
1: find your stuff well most you know we we are um uh, a bit of a Twitter junkie firm. So uh, are you? Yeah, RenMac LLC. We, we're okay. always, you know, usually once a day, I'm I'm publishing something. Neil's publishing something. Uh, little quips here and there. Um, so there's there's Twitter, RenMac LLC, and then at RenMac yes, LLC. Sorry, L-L-C. At Ren okay, Mac. we'll and link to that. RenMac.com dot com is uh, is our website. And who who are get. your clients? Oh, it's ninety percent institutional. Um, we've got some RIAs, um, but it's mostly call it sixty, sixty five percent long only. Commercial hedgers? Thirty five commercial hedgers. Commercial hedgers, yes. For sure. Absolutely. But so, we also have some large speculators as well. So we have both sides. So I think
0: you I think you do a great job. And a lot of the stuff that you're explaining is very complex for, you know, like the typical market follower, but I yeah. think you do a really good job at like Explaining it and then why it matters. Thank you. Right? Thank you. This is not just these are not just lines on a chart. Here's why it matters. Yeah. So
1: look, I mean this is a this is a complex business, but like anything else, if you can't keep it simple, it's you know it's worthless. And so. you have a great team. Thank you. My team is fantastic. We love them. Jeff DeGrav, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so here's Thank what we you. do when we
0: finish the podcast. We end with um, favorites. Oh, talk about Yellowstone. So you have <laughs> no, for real? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I haven't watched one episode of this yet, and everyone is like yelling at me at this point. So I'm mm. going to do it. Uh, tell me about why Yellowstone is your favorite.
1: Well, I would actually say 1883
0: is better. It's a Yellowstone. prequel series. I didn't prequel see that either series. Yeah, okay. that
1: one's better. It's got Sam Elliott with a big bushy. I love that. Too. Tom yeah, Hanks right? made a cameo. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's fantastic. It's better than Yellowstone. So Yellowstone loved, is just great.
2: I love love the first three seasons. Yeah. Last year, I thought sucked. And this year, yeah. Yeah. kind of disappointed again.
0: Is there anything yeah. on Paramount Plus besides that that would justify just biting the bullet and adding another streaming service to mine? Have tonight?
1: you seen... I, uh, I don't know I think it is but the offer the making of the Godfather no, that's so another payment. thing people say that's is that's yeah. right, I'm gonna do it yeah. I'll, I'll add it up what's the difference at this point I'll give point? you my John, I'll give you my password I'm,
0: pa- I'm paying 700 different things $8 <laughs> a month it's starting to add up uh, Michael did you bring a favorite this week I did I'm so excited for this go ahead peanut M&M's
2: I am all in on there's a show called uh, what the f- is the name of the show Fleischman is in trouble I don't know why I always draw a blank on the name of the show Fleischman is in trouble it's with Jesse Eisenberg and Claire Danes. It's a very, very, very New York show. Sure. FX. FX, is that FX? FX. slash Hulu. Okay. They get divorced. Um he's a newly sing- a single guy in his fo- early forties, discovering, you know, the scene. And uh it's it's great. Michael, that was one of your recommendations on Animal Spirits. Oh, well, doubling down. Off, Duncan.
0: <laughs> I, I like that you did that. I liked. I bring that energy every week. That Fact very checker. Duncan, Fact I, checker. Duncan, Duncan, uh, I love it. Do you listen to what? What podcast do you listen to?
1: I'm not a big podcast guy. That's. Sad.
0: I'm going to give you a good one. Acquired. Okay. It's a big. I mean, it's a huge show. Okay. Breaking
1: uh, news here. Acquired uh, is a no. Good podcast. Of course,
0: it's a huge podcast. Every week, I think it's every week. They take like a big company, big successful company, usually. Okay. And just like dive in deep and explain how the company became what it is. Nice. So you could picture them doing a lot of recently like technology companies, et cetera. They did Enron this week. Mm. They were basically like, how could we add something to the FTX conversation? Yeah. That, that would be meaningful. Let's do the Enron story, which is the thing that most people are comparing FTX to. Yeah. It's way more, I mean, it's an amazing story. I just thought they did such a good job telling the story of Enron. For people who have like heard Enron, 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 but they don't really know what went on. Yeah. It's a really entertaining uh, episode, so shout out to the Acquired. They, they listen a, to these guys, right? They did a
2: huge one with, with FTX, which was excellent.
0: Maybe this was I mean, their, probably, pen, probably, this is their <laughs> penance for doing Probably didn't age episode. great, but uh, no, they do great work. They, they, they did two and a half hours on Enron, and yeah. it was an incredible story. Yeah. So they did FTX well before they the... Did F, they did... Sam was on their... <laughs> Sam was on their show, actually. <laughs> Sam was on the show. Talking about it. This is probably a year or two By ago. By the way, like... He fooled everyone. Sam, yeah. Sam was... Dude, he had the naming rights for for uh, where the Miami Heat play. He had Super Bowl commercials. It's like, MLB. his tentacles were... Check, yeah. check. His tentacles check. were everywhere. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. I, also, so here's a dislike, and I have to just get this off my chest. The Rings of Power is the worst show I've oh, ever seen in my oh, life. So disappointing. So, like, so disappointing. I love the, the movies, and Token probably changed my life. I read The Hobbit when I was 11. And I wasn't – it was, like, somebody else's book, and I, like, took it. Like, nobody told me to read this. Mm. And uh, I think think that's probably the first, like, 700-page book I ever picked up. (laughs) And it made me want to write my own stuff, and I'm, like, kind of a writer now. So, like, I'm not a hater of any of this stuff. That show is just – I mean, you agree? Did you watch it? I, I haven't watched it. F- unwatchable.
2: <laughs> I, I have met that not one scene it, that's entertaining. I slogged through three episodes and said, no, you wait till the 10th. No.
0: Ugh. So there that's are- That's what
2: people were saying about Andor. Yeah.
0: There are whole like Reddits and whole pages all over the internet of like, why is this show so bad? And there's not even a consensus. There are so many things that are bad about it. Things that don't
2: get made in a normal interested environment. That thing could probably cost a quarter billion dollars. How much How do about this cost? How about
0: this? Let me make you throw up. <laughs> They gave the token estate, just for the rights to make the show, $250 million. I swear to God. And then they took another $500 million to actually make this thing. So Once, if, one season, I swear, I think it's – is it 10 episodes? So it cost a B, almost. It's like a billion-dollar show, and there's not bad. a frame of it that's enjoyable. It's very bad. So – I do blame the Fed for, for this.
2: It says season and one cost $462 million.
0: Fine. Round it up to 500 and then $250 for uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's great, great, great grandchild. And that's – I mean
2: – And comparing that to Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon, which around the same time was phenomenal. By the way,
0: they did this with Amazon stock price like 100% higher than where it is now. I don't think they would have done this. I think they would have made maybe a miniseries. All right, that's it. We're going to let you get out of here, Jeff. You hey, guys.
1: Thanks so much. It's been that's a been long been time.
0: We, we we loved having you. Thank you so much. Thank guys, you. follow Jeff. Follow Renaissance uh, wherever they're putting that stuff. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back to you next week. Is that cool? Awesome, guys. All right, so that was the warm-up.
1: <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so we just wanted to get, we wanted to get <laughs> I'm doing a little